Welcome to the Motherhood Village Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez-Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox, and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello and welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I have on very special guest. I have Chelsea Bodie, who is one half of the Mama Psychologist with her partner, Caitlin Slavens, and they are the dynamic co-founders of Mama Psychologist. They're best friends and they're accomplished psychologists and renowned authors based in Alberta, Canada. Their Amazon bestseller, Not Your Mother's Postpartum Book, reflects their expertise in maternal mental health and parenting, covering an array of essential topics from screen time management to addressing postpartum anxiety they've become trusted voices in the field. Their mission is to destigmatize postpartum mental health through open conversations, providing research-backed insights and guidance. Welcome, Chelsea. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. Okay, let's dive into it. I always like to ask my guests what their favorite book is or one that they would like to recommend to my listeners. Oh, yes, I love that. All Moms Have Scary Thoughts is one that I I've love heard to of keep that. on my bookshelf. Yeah, it's, it's so wonderful. And it's not so much a read. It's more of like pictures and comics. But I feel like it's a really good connecting piece for moms. And it doesn't take a lot of time and, and energy to read. Awesome. And I would imagine your book too. Oh, yes. And our book, of course. <laughs> yes. Okay. So maybe share with my listeners the the story behind creating Mama mm-hmm. Psychologist and what inspired you and your best friend to co-found it, to start it and turn it, which I'm sure you didn't imagine of what it's turned into to where it is today, though. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I always joke. I'm like, we we created it in our postpartum bogs, I think, thinking this was a great idea. <laughs> I guess it turned out okay. But I had just had my first back in 2019 and Caitlin had just had her second. So our her, her daughter and my son are about six weeks apart. And so Caitlin really struggled with her first with postpartum anxiety. And my son was actually born three months early. So we were displaced um, from our home, currently living in NICU. The NICU in my hometown um, wasn't a high enough acute care. So we were sent about three hours away from home. And so we were still in our NICU fog. And I remember Caitlin texting me one day and saying, hey, I feel like we've both really struggled and there's not a lot of resources out there for moms. Do you want to create this Instagram page with me? I was like, yeah, sure. That sounds like a great idea. Why wouldn't I want to do that right now? And so, yeah, I was born in January 2020, just before the pandemic. And we kind of had this idea of connecting with people locally in our own community and and creating this resource because we both were like, we're, we're, we're moms, we're psychologists. Like we have the quote unquote training. We should know how to cope with these stressful situations. We've worked, both worked for, with families for years and we were both floundering and we're like, we can't, we cannot be the only ones. And so Mama Psychologist was born and it, it took on a life of its own. And here we are four years later, still creating resources for parents. May I ask, how was it that transition how long have you and your your best friend been mm-hmm. in the space of being psychologists? Because so, the reason why I'm asking that, because I was yeah. like, how was that transition from 
being a psychologist and in the maternal mental health space to then now being in the thick of it and having to go through your own experiences. What was that transition like? It was much harder than I had anticipated. So I've been, oh, I've been in mental health now for over, over good, well over a decade now and a psychologist for well over six years, seven years, okay, something like I can't remember anymore. (laughs) Graduated back in 2016, something like that. Anyway, so it was quite a long time that we had worked with families. And that was our initial specialization for both of us, actually. And how we met was through child and adolescent psychology. And so, you know, I think you go into it a little naive, like, oh, I've read the books and I got this. And and then you're in it and you're like, oh, I don't got this anymore. (laughs) Which is why I think having a space like your like what you have, right? And I followed you guys fame way before, you know, even me knowing that I'd get to speak to you, but get to speak with you. I think when we become parents, you just have this idea that it's just going to go one way. And I think that's one of the most difficult things that I've even seen with the moms that come to my support groups. So I want to ask you, how prevalent still, or is it more so have you seen it exemplified in some way? Are the issues with maternal mental health? What are they, right? When we hear maternal mental health, like what does that mean? And why is it so important to address them and having these open conversations? Yeah, absolutely. I think it can kind of be twofold depending on your journey. So if you're coming from a space, my, you know, I really struggled to get pregnant or I've experienced loss. I'm, you know, a medical mom, I'm in the NICU space, you know, birth trauma, all of that kind of, not that the umbrellas can't can't go uh, over top of one another, but I think there's sometimes that unexpected journey that way. And then there's the more, I guess I'll say common experiences in terms of, you know, the mental load of motherhood, burnout, um, social media is great, but I think it comes with a double-edged sword of information overload and wondering what information to trust. And and so I think there's some of those just general common experiences that a lot, almost all moms also struggle with at some point as well. And during postpartum, I, we hear a lot of, or I've heard, I mean, you mentioned the anxiety. I think now we are uncovering that a little bit more. We hear it a little mm-hmm. bit more um, prevalent from from talking to my own mom friends and talking to other experts, it seems women like myself who were very corporate, high achieving, you know, that space that we might have experienced anxiety a bit more because a lot of times in motherhood, we can't control things. And we come from the background of, well, I was a manager, so I can control this. If I do this, then this Mm -hmm. is the outcome where with motherhood, you can do all the things that it doesn't mean your child's going to do what they're going to say and all the things. So mm-hmm. with the with terminologies like postpartum anxiety, postpartum rage, postpartum depression, can you share maybe some mm-hmm. common signs or symptoms that mothers may experience during postpartum? Are those the big three? Are there other things that can come up? And what advice do you have for mothers listening who may be struggling with some of those challenges? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely anxiety is definitely more talked about. I think a lot of parents didn't realize you could feel anxious having a child. I think the big one is obviously postpartum depression, the most commonly researched, the most commonly talked about. Um, And when we're looking at postpartum depression, it's, it's hard because, you know, I think we've also always heard of like baby blues, which I would argue almost most parents will experience after they've given birth, right? You you have that mood shift, that hormone drop, you've just given birth to a baby, you're going home, you're sleep deprived, right? All of those things. So 
Let's just start there. So kind of makes sense where we branch off from there. So when we're talking about baby blues, we're talking about that kind of general teariness that can happen in the early postpartum phase, that having more difficulty regulating your emotions. For example, I remember I brought my daughter home and my son would cry every time my daughter would cry. So they're both crying and then I'm crying and it's just like, what is happening here, right? So it's just that overwhelm of change and and emotion and and hormone shifts that you're going to get. However, you're going to see that improve. So over two, three weeks, that should start to, you know, your mood should start to elevate a little bit. You don't feel like you're on the edge of tears as much, for example, and you kind of feel quote unquote more like yourself, right? You're like, I I know how I can handle that if it comes up. I have ideas of how I coped before and I can implement them again. However, when we're looking at postpartum depression or anxiety or any other mood kind of disorder under the perinatal world, we typically what we see is there isn't an improvement in in symptoms, right? They're going to continue on. So it might stay the same. It might get worse. And there's also also a common misconception that if we get out of the fourth trimester, right, the first three months postpartum, we're not going to experience any of these things anymore. However, it's actually really common to experience it even later into the postpartum period. So I always share with the moms that I work with, you know, it's common to experience at 10 months, like that's okay, you haven't done anything wrong. It's just not really shared that it comes out later as well. So, you know, you have a lot of those moms that are like, I I made it, I feel great. And then they're like, Oh, I don't feel so great anymore. And my baby's six, seven months old. So that's one thing that we look for. In terms of specific symptoms, for postpartum depression, what we're looking at is low mood. And I say all moms hate this question, but Sleep deprivation in terms of, you know, if you have opportunities to rest. So even if your child's not a great sleeper or, you know, you're still up a lot throughout the night, you know, when there are those moments of the baby is down or they sleep for a couple of hours, are you able to rest? Are you able to sleep in those time periods? If not, then that could be a symptom or a warning sign that maybe your mood is a little bit more off than than we had anticipated. We would also be looking at, you know, eating. Do you have an appetite or changes in your appetite to what you've normally experienced in the past? And we also want to look for, you know, connecting and bonding with baby. Do you feel like your mood is high, low, mostly low? Obviously, we're looking more on the low mood side. And then we also want to look at enjoyment. Do you find that things, you know, bring you joy in your life? Are you able to to feel that happiness or excitement or not at all, right? So those are some things we're looking at with the depression side of things. Um, When we're looking at um, anxiety, again, those sleep changes, we're going to also be looking at those eating changes. But we also typically people will express that they have a lot of intrusive thoughts that they can't manage. So that one can be a little bit hard because almost, I think research says 70 to 100% of moms experience intrusive thoughts. So it can be a little bit challenging but with that. But what we're looking for is when, if you get uh, significant concerns about like health and safety related to baby, for example, like fears of falling down the stairs and dropping baby, or if you're getting up in the middle of the night and checking if baby's breathing and having those fears, right? Different things like that, that we would be looking for. But we also want to see how much that's impacting your day-to-day life, right? Like if you're not able to leave your house because you're so anxious or, you know, we've worked with moms who can't walk down the stairs because they're so scared to drop their babies, right? And so, you know, if you can't do things that you would normally do, that's also a warning sign like, hey, I'm maybe not coping in the way that I need to, or these symptoms are so intense that it's really impeding how I function in my day-to-day life. Let me ask you, before I ask 
Well, actually, let me ask you this, but I, I don't want to forget my other part too. I feel like there's so much to unpack there. But my question to you is, okay, so once you help a mother, what are some maybe some coping strategies or some tools or some effective measures that you might share with a mother who's maybe going through some of that and that they can incorporate into their daily lives to kind of help maybe manage some of this anxiety and depression? Mm-hmm. Aside from seeking help and, you know, talking to maybe someone like yourself, what are some other things they can do? Yeah, of course. The one thing that I always say is start really small and it sounds really cheesy, but if, you know, you're really struggling with even meeting your own basic needs, we're not going to be able to go to the, you know, I know it's hot word, the self-care terms, but we can't really get into that space if we can't meet our basic needs. So I always start there as my foundation and have moms reflect on that because, you know, we want to make sure you're trying to eat and trying to drink and changing your clothes, having a shower, right? Doing those small things for yourself. So if, if that's even a struggle, I say to start there, be intentional with your time, right? Even if it's a couple of minutes, that's okay. We'll work up to more time, of course, but let's just work with what you have. Because again, if I say, let's carve out 20 minutes, you're like, I can't even brush my teeth. 20 minutes is going to feel so overwhelming. So we want to break it down a little bit and set really small, really intentional goals with things like that. And I find that can be really helpful because it can make you feel like you're working towards, you know, little, little achievements throughout the day and, and can help you feel like, oh, maybe I can, you know, find that balance or feel kind of successful in in how I'm you know, coping. Movement is a really big one as well that we talk about that that moms can do. And I don't even mean exercise. I even just mean like moving your body, stretching, right? Going sure. for a walk, getting outside in nature. I mean, we, we're in Canada and it's like minus, it was just minus 45. So, you know, that's hard to do in the winter, <laughs> but trying to be realistic with your c- circumstances and what that looks like. And then even reaching out to supports that you have in your life outside of, you know, therapy and in your health care provider, obviously those are important, but even just having conversations with other moms or, you know, other supports in your life can be really empowering and just sharing like I'm not, I feel alone in this and, and am I, and, and having that kind of connection piece can be really helpful. Now, what if you, so this is a question I was going to ask before, but what, what if you're kind of past that, right? So someone like myself, and, and you mentioned, you know, you're like some moms, they go through the baby blues and then maybe it comes back or they're, they're, are they really out of it? So like someone of myself who mm-hmm. now we're in a, we're in a challenging time, you know, I find myself when I get overly stimulated with certain things and I have a lot mm-hmm. going on, what do we call that when you're not technically in the postpartum? Right. My son Mm -hmm. is six, even though in my mind, I feel like we're are we not always in some level of postpartum? Like, when does it end? Right. Is there (laughs) even a cycle? Is there even a scientific data for that? But yeah, like, what is that if, you know, you're kind of out of that, but you're still struggling, you're struggling with the overwhelm, you're struggling with being with transitions, I think you know, I had mentioned to you before going on that my son struggled, but I'm like, we don't even talk about mom struggling from that of knowing, okay, he was in a safe space for four years. Now he's going to kindergarten. So now a lot of my anxiety is now resurfacing, Mm -hmm. right? So what do we call that when, okay, we we got through, we, we survived that. Oh, now we're in another thing. And a lot of this is coming up. Is there a term for it? Or do we just go back to the same foundation of self-care and doing all the things. So maybe talk about that because I'm sure there are some moms listening to this that might be out of that postpartum baby blue stage. Mm -hmm. And now they're in the thick of it of like, but wait, (laughs) I still, I'm still stressed. I'm still have anxiety, but now it's on a different level. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of that, from my, I guess, 
my own perspective, I, I typically will call that under the umbrella of maternal mental health. So it's often things that are specific to moms and parents in general, but in terms of our conversation, we're going to say moms. And so, yeah, I often look at that as maternal mental health. Now, if you're looking in more of like that clinical, like diagnostic criteria kind of area, typically they'll probably just go to like a generalized anxiety disorder, for example, if you're looking for more of a clinical term, because in, in the medical world, they only look at postpartum as one year. Now, I have issues with that. (laughs) However, that's typically what they're going to talk about is pregnancy into that one year postpartum. So that's where that perinatal kind of term has come from is that that time frame. But that being said, if it starts in the perinatal period and carries on, and let's say you just didn't realize and it, it never got treated, for example, it doesn't mean it didn't arise in that time frame. In the same breath, there's lots of stressors, right, in parenthood, as you were just talking about, right? The the mental load, the decision fatigue, the burnout, the, you know, the identity piece of becoming a mother and also how that changes throughout the stages, right? As your child's needs change, your identity as a mother changes a little bit. And so, you know, there's all of these different milestones that that moms go through as their child grows, right? I always say, you know, we grow with our children and that's not going to change, No, absolutely. And I think, you know, what I'm finding is I almost feel like the older our kids get, like, it's like the the certain level, like, we need to really pour into ourselves, because I think the amount of mental capacity you need to deal with some of these things just becomes even more right when they're Mm -hmm. babies to your point it's like okay we're having a sleeping issue but we know kind of what that issue is and maybe we can tackle it here when a child's going into school or there's friends now you're in you're talking about life issues so I think it comes to where I think for more so that moms really have to invest in their as you said the the buzzword of self-care but truly investing in themselves to be able to handle these things to talk to our kids right so that we're managing our feelings and not exploding on our kids and we don't, you know, and all of those things. I There's another term that I think has come up. I've seen it on your profile is a highly sensitive child. Can you explain to maybe someone listening what that is? I feel like my son has a bit of that. But again, we could hear it and say, oh, well, we but maybe explain what that is. And what advice do you have to parents dealing with highly sensitive children and how can they foster real emotional intelligence in their children that are highly sensitive? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So when we're talking about highly sensitive um, person is kind of the term HSP, um, we're really talking about a trait. So what, how I look at it is everybody has the certain capacity to handle, handle sensory stimulation and emotional stimulation and things like that. And so if you're more sensitive to that, then you're often going to be overwhelmed a little bit quicker than someone who is maybe lower on that trait scale. And so, you know, your emotions, you'll, you know, it's kind of deemed the sensitive child, right? They're responsive to their environment. They get sensory stimulation, overwhelm quickly. They have big feelings. They're expressive, right? It's not all negative things, but it can feel a lot to parent because you're, you're going to feel like you have to emotion coach kind of all day long, right? If there's a lot of that emotional and investment that that takes a lot of energy so when we're looking oh sorry go go ahead ahead. no no I thought you paused but go ahead (laughs) 
No, all I was going to say is, so when we're, we're looking at that, you will see, you know, sometimes there's like the big tears or the, they're more sensitive even to like pain stimulation and things like that, right? So there's just a lot of different facets that can play into that. And transitions can actually be really difficult for HSP child, children as well and par- people. Like it's just, it's hard, right? Change is hard. So then how do you cope with that? Because I think a lot of us were raised with the old school, right? We don't understand what that is. So old school of like, because I said so, you know, I know a lot of this and I know things are changing because there are conversations, right? Accounts like yours that we kind of, we're, we're, we see that that isn't the proper way of saying, because I said so, shutting them now, shutting them now down, not allowing for the big feelings, but it can be overwhelming. I would imagine mm-hmm. it could even be overwhelming for a parent who's also highly sensitive, mm-hmm. right? And working through that. So what are some coping strategies for our moms that who's listening to this is like, how do I deal with that? How do I deal with it when they are having the big emotions or the transition is happening and they just for don't sure. want to hear it? Maybe just give a couple tips of how maybe to manage that, especially if you're a highly sensitive parent yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So one really good one for parents is I say take sensory breaks, right? Parenting is loud. <laughs> I don't think we're told that. Is that there's no like disclaimer, like parenting is the loudest thing ever. But it's really overwhelming, right? The crying, the whining, the the toys, the the TV, the, the music, right? Anything can feel really overwhelming. The touch, right? If you have a, a baby that needs to be on you all day or a toddler that hangs onto your leg, that can get overwhelming in and of itself. So my number one tip is sensory breaks. And that could be, I'm going to say bathroom because typically that's like the only door that you can kind of lock in your house these days. But, you know, you can go into the bathroom, shut off the lights, right? Get a little bit of sensory deprivation. If you your kids are in a safe space, you can put in headphones for a minute or earplugs, right? Anything that's going to help you just kind of bring yourself back down because it's going to be harder to regulate with your children if you're dysregulated yourself. So always take a couple of minutes if you can and try that sensory break. And then in terms of with your child, one of the big things I, I, I believe I have an HSP chat as well. And so, you know, it is going to be a little bit of playing with, with strategies to try to find what works because everybody's a little bit different, but some things that we found really successful are lots of preparation. So talking things through role-playing with toys or with each other and talking about things like we have a little magnetic calendar. So they, that my son can see kind of what day it is and activities and different things like that. So, you know, different preparation that way can be really helpful for a child who is struggling with transition and change. And another thing is a lot of emotional validation, right? Acknowledging the feeling. And I think a lot of people struggle with that because they think, okay, if I'm validating the emotion, then that kind of means I'm a lenient parent. Like there's no rules or no structure and there's no boundaries. And that that's not true. You can still set the boundary, right? Just because they're having big feelings doesn't mean the behavior is okay. And so it's just really focusing on allowing space for those feelings and acknowledging them while still setting the boundary of whatever you need to. And that works for your family with what's happening. That's great. And my follow-up question to that piece before we go on to another topic is what if you're surrounded by family members that don't necessarily agree Right. And you might start feeling shameful and you're like, well, maybe give some tips. And I ask some of these questions because I have a community of moms. We have a WhatsApp group. So I know the questions that come in. I'm dealing with this. 
And what I do see a lot of is like family, the shaming, and they're like, well, my mother-in-law said this, my mom said this, am I doing it properly? So what advice would you give to those parents who maybe are in a situation where their caregiver, right, who's maybe a grandparent or their mother-in-law, whoever it is, doesn't necessarily agree, how can they take away that outside noise and really focus on what they feel is the best for themselves and for their family? For sure. Yeah, that's tough, right? Family dynamics are are never an easy thing to navigate. And I think it gets a little more complicated once you are a parent. Um, So a couple of things can be helpful. So if you do have a partner, talk about it beforehand, right? If you're going to a family event, or you're going to a birthday party, or whatever it might be. And talk about how you want to respond to family members, right? Kind of have them as backup or that can help you reinforce your boundaries or that can reinforce them with you. So it doesn't feel like you're so alone in that in that fight or in, in that ability to say, hey, this is my family. This is kind of what we want to do. The other piece is if you feel like you have the relationship where you could send some information, you know, if you do think your child's highly sensitive, be like, hey, do you mind like reading this article so you can understand where we're coming from or how we're trying to help him or her or whatever's going on, right? So that little education piece can be helpful. And then if you that isn't something that is possible, I think also having kind of like a stem sentence that you can use in situations. So if you're at the event, like what could you say if somebody's like questioning you or responding to your child in a way that you don't feel comfortable, right? Like I appreciate that you're trying to help, but that's not how we like to handle these situations. I can take it from here. Or it's, you know, we actually just don't want to talk about parenting. That's not a topic that we're going to talk about today, right? Anything like that, that you can try to practice setting those boundaries. And that pushback might happen, right? And that's common. People don't necessarily like boundaries, or if they're not used to boundaries, it's going to feel uncomfortable for them. But that's their thing, right? So it's practicing, like, what can I say that feels okay for me? And to start setting that boundary. I easier said that. than done. No, I, <laughs> well, you said, right, the family dynamics, that could probably be a whole nother conversation, right? I mean, there's, yes, especially cultures and things like that, where grandparents do feel like they're like, wait a minute. And you're like, well, you're not really the parent, right? But they feel they mm-hmm. have so much control, you know, um, or when it's a caregiver. But that I think that was that was great. So before we wind down here, I want to talk about your book, briefly how people can connect with you, but you posted something on your social media I saw before about tricky people. And I thought this was wonderful Mm. because I started switching my language and talking with my son because I I didn't want to put the anxiety on him that he thinks every person is bad because to the point it's not, you know, there are good people and I want him to go into the world having that mindset. So why don't you talk about that? Because that also came up in a group, in a group discussion, what that means and how a parent could explain a tricky person as opposed to the stranger danger situation? Yeah, we kind of talk about tricky people in a sense of it could be anybody in your life, right? The the idea of stranger danger is a concept that's a little bit more outdated, I think, in the sense that, you know, how do you teach your child more about behaviors to look for rather than specific people, right? That, you know, people that are strangers are always dangerous and people that you know or have had acquaintances with or encounters with aren't dangerous. So we want to kind of take away that language and just talk more about behaviors that you can help your child learn to look for if they feel unsafe, right? And that could be, again, anybody. So it's just trying to shift it into terms of allowing them to know that they can come talk to you if it is somebody they know, right? If Because maybe if it is a family member who is having an inappropriate conversation or something that, you know, you've taught them that isn't okay, 
are, can they still come talk about it if they feel like, oh, this isn't a stranger, right? So again, it's just opening that up to be able to talk about that in, in a little bit of a different way. I love that. I, I love it because it is outdated. Because to your point, I, I I know there's a statistic out there, I'm sure somewhere where a lot of children might be abused by someone who is close to them. It's not a stranger, right? And mm-hmm. their mind, they've been taught that, you know, stranger danger is going to be someone I have to look for, but it doesn't necessarily always could be someone close to you, could be a teacher, could be a coach. So looking out for the behaviors I thought was awesome. Okay, mm-hmm. so your book, Not Your Mother's Postpartum Book, gained significant recognition as an Amazon bestseller. Could you highlight maybe some key points or insights or advice maybe from the book that you believe had a profound impact on mothers navigating postpartum, um, maybe even discuss kind of the inspiration behind the book and how maybe you have heard of how it's helped mothers within their own motherhood journey. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's good timing. It's our Brooke's birthday tomorrow, actually. Uh, It came out one year ago. That's Um, awesome. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So I guess the main inspiration behind it was, you know, we were you talk, working with our publisher and they're, and they're like, what, what inspires you? What, you know, what, what do you want to write about? And, and we thought, you know, when we look at what's out there, it's lots of stuff that's focused on the child, right? The milestones, the pregnancy, you know, how babies the size of a watermelon, you know, those kind of, and things like that. And it really didn't focus on the experience of the mother, right? The, the mental health experience, especially of the mom. And so we really wanted to create a resource that could go over the information that could be a quick and easy reference guide and go over as many topics as we could, essentially. And so we wrote it as, I guess, the with the idea of it being the encyclopedia for motherhood. So really common struggles or concerns that moms bring up quite often. And so it goes over birth trauma, it goes over the impact of feeding struggles, NICU, pregnancy loss, relationship changes, the matriescence, so the idea of becoming a mother and that identity change, intrusive thoughts, perinatal mood disorders. So we talk about depression, rage, anxiety, and other disorders that can come up within that time frame. And we wrote it with the intention of we know moms don't have time to sit down all the time and read a book from front to back. <laughs> and so it really is written with the idea of go to the chapter that you're you're struggling with the topic you're struggling with and you know it, it's like 10 pages read through it get some basic information some understanding of what's happening and it has some journal prompts that you can write just to reflect on your own experience if you're working with a mental health professional or your family care provider you can bring that and and be able to have those conversations and have a place to put some of those things down so that's kind of the intention behind it and how it's written and again mostly we you know we talked about our own personal journeys in there and how, you know, other motherhood impacted us and and some other stories. So it's, it's hopefully the goal is for moms to feel less alone and to less isolated in their experience and to, to know that it's okay to talk about the hard side of motherhood and to know that it's okay to not love every single second. And you get to say it's hard because it is. Yeah, of course. Okay. So how can mothers connect with you? I know you have courses. You said you even coach moms. So do you still do private practice? Like share with my listeners how they can connect with you, how they can work with you. Of course, it'll go in the show notes, but also speak it. Yeah, absolutely. So we're primarily on Instagram. That's kind of the the social media app that we understand the most. We 
pretend to understand TikTok, but <laughs> so you can find us on TikTok and Facebook. <laughs> we do have a website, mamapsychologist.ca. And so there you'll find some of our blog posts, so different topics that we write about. We have a workshop on the highly sensitive child. So that's going over basically what is a highly sensitive child more in depth and signs and symptoms of that, as well as some tips and tricks for meal time, screen time, transitions, all of those kind of school, all of that. So anything that kind of comes under that umbrella. So we have a course on that. We do do workshops. So for example, we're having a screen time workshop. So how to manage screens and and what that could look like in your family. And we will soon be releasing a course on Beyond Baby Blue. So it talks about a lot of the topics that we have in our uh, a book, but in a course form. So you can find all of that on our website as well. Awesome. And do you do coaching one-on-one yourself or no? Is it more of the group Um, courses and workshops? Yeah, we do each individually have private practices. So we work with clients in Alberta and Nova Scotia. So that's kind of our main areas. And then the workshops and the psychoeducation groups are more for anybody worldwide. Oh, that's amazing. So you still do your private practice, huh? Yeah, we both do. Wow. No, busy, right? I mean, these are all the things. That's awesome. It's been so great talking with you, Chelsea. Are there any, I always give my guests like the final thoughts, right? Like anything you want to share here for my listeners, anything that you're like, listen, if you wanted to take something from this conversation or part ways with, Mm -hmm. take this. So I'll leave that. I'll give you the floor now to share. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that I want moms to get from this is connection is so important. And to know that whatever you're going through, I I know it can come with a lot of shame and a lot of guilt, but it doesn't have to. And to know you're not alone in that. And it it is okay to to say you're struggling or to, to reach out and reach out for help or connect with somebody. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chelsea, for coming on for the work that you do with Caitlin. It is appreciated. I know I share your stuff with my with my own moms here in South Florida, because I think connection is key, you know, having that for sure having that village. So thank you. And continued blessings to you for love and light. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the Motherhood Village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their motherhood village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.